0: Boggers on a mission, and the stakes are getting higher, other teams in the majors, don't have a prayer against the Friars, long ball, small ball, back against the wall, wall. offense, defense, swinging for the back running down the bases, gonna touch them all. Greetings and welcome to the East Village Times Podcast. I am your host, James Clark, and with me, as always, is Mr. Austin Hartsfield. What's going on, Austin? How are you doing?
1: I'm pumped that I probably get to talk about a bunch of my sod poodles today with somebody who knows way more than I do.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we are privileged to have Mr. Eric Longenhagen here of Fangraphs, uh, lead prospect analyst, and uh, it'll be awesome picking his brain. What's going on, Eric? How are you doing today? Hey guys, I'm I'm doing pretty well.
2: Got a lot of uh, stuff going on. Finishing up a manuscript for a book that my writing partner and I, Kylie McDaniel, are um, are just sort of putting putting the finishing touches on. Um, and then we're rolling right into offseason list time. So um, it's it's a busy, it's 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 very busy. <laughs> but um, yeah. but it's fun. But it's fun.
0: You, even though there's no more baseball, there's still there's not a day off for, for you. Correct.
2: Yeah, we, uh, there was, other than some false scrimmage stuff, like, um, you know, like there is still some stuff going on, but, uh, but it's mostly done. Yeah. It's the 2019 season has concluded. It's, it's sad, but, um, sad. I'm going to sit in in my home office now for the next couple months and, and bang out all these lists.
1: It took me, it took me a while. I was just like, I went from having baseball every single day and being at the field every single day to having no baseball. And I feel like somebody took my, like, Stuffed animal or something. I'm so sad.
2: <laughs> yeah, it does become uh, like a security blanket of sorts. It does the the routine changing does haven't have an impact on you. It is kind of strange.
0: Yeah. It's, it's 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 a tough time, but we will truck on. Uh, Eric, give me give me some thoughts. Last week, you broke the news of the Padres signing a uh, Mexican left-handed pitcher by the name of Zayed Salinas. Uh, give us a little bit about that left-handed pitcher and uh, what you've seen from him.
2: Sure, yeah. So um, the signings coming out of Mexico were sort of halted for a little while as MLB seeked to change uh, some of the rules. So it used to be that the team, like the parent team of the Mexican prospect, could keep a lot of the bonus that the player ended up getting, and that the difference, whatever the player ended up getting, uh, was all that would count against teams bonus pools. And it was sort of a loophole that, that teams were exploiting to sign you know, to throw money at at talent um in Latin America that they weren't able to in other areas anymore. Um, and uh, it was obviously not great that these the Mexican teams were skimming huge uh, chunks of the bonus away from uh, their players. And so for a while, like the signing Mexican players, there was a moratorium put on it until new rules were put in place. Um, and so uh, this kid was, we had him rated as the uh, the top player uh, from Mexico during this year's signing period. He is a two-way player, but realistically profiles more as a pitcher. Uh, it's, you know, an athletic, lean, six-foot-one frame most of the prospects, especially the pitching prospects coming out of Mexico, are a little stockier. They're, they're typically stout, 88-91 uh, with the change-up types. This guy's built more like another Padres prospect was at the same age, Augustin Ruiz, uh, where there's a little yeah. bit more projection to the body. So it's, it's loose, uh, athletic, repeatable delivery, upper 80s with a good curveball right now. You can project on the changeup because of the athleticism and the arm action. And then as an outfielder, he's like, you know, obviously it's a plus arm, uh, runs pretty well, ha- would have a non-zero chance to stick in center field and would have to develop uh, high-end contact skills to profile because the frame doesn't really uh, project for power realistically. So more likely he's something on the mound, uh, just an interesting two-way prospect, someone who will be in the 35- Plus, future value tier uh, of the Padres list when it comes out this offseason as like a long distance developmental project. who, uh, realistically, uh, these players don't typically pan out, but this is this is an interesting, you know, a, a tier above uh, that type of player. The typical uh, upper left lefty with a breaking ball.
0: Mm-hmm. Being that he's left-handed, does that give him a little more availability uh, availability to grow and, and kind of develop, if you will? Sure. Well, there's there's actually
2: disagreement in the industry about this now. Okay. Most of the um left-handed pitching is certainly rare, or rarer than right-handed pitching just because most people are right-handed, but because most people are right-handed, most of the hitting population is also right-handed. Uh-huh. Uh and okay. so it's you could argue that it's actually a disadvantage to be left-handed because you will have you will be at a platoon disadvantage most of the time, uh, but everyone needs left-handed pitching. Like you have to be able to get your opponent's lefty batters out. So there's disagreement about it, but um, but yeah, I think really what what makes this guy interesting is uh, the build and the two-way pedigree are rare coming from uh, this location and on the amateur market internationally at all. Like most of the guys you see. Uh, at Latin American workouts, there was just one here in Arizona this past week. Uh, they're all listed at, at shortstop. They're either shortstop or outfielder, um, and uh, so to to have someone doing both uh, is is pretty rare at this stage in Latin America. So I think that's pretty interesting.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's it's nice to see the Padres dive into this market. It's something that they. They've done recently, but they hadn't done for a long time prior to 2016 17. Um, give me a little bit about you know, they had a pretty successful J2 draft, uh, J2 signing. Uh, instead of going for one huge prospect, they kind of allocated their funds around and, and it got four uh in the top 30. Uh, give me a little bit about Reg- Reginald Precia- Preciado, who I've heard positive things from, uh, a lanky kid. Uh, already shown ability to, to square up fastballs at an at an early age uh ha, do you have anything on preciado and and, and your thoughts on him in particular mm, yeah so
2: i obviously preciado was this is the guy who's the highest uh bonus for a panamanian player mm-hmm. uh, in in the history of this uh current system i think ever actually but uh but yeah so he was known at as an amateur, he played on the Panamanian like junior national teams and stuff like that. He was seen at some of the the uh, the World Baseball Softball organization-like events. Um, he's 6'4", 180, switch hitter. Has pretty surprising feel for contact for a switch hitter this size, this age. Typically long-levered players this age still have that baby giraffe uh, mm-hmm. athleticism. They haven't really yes. grown into their bodies yet. So this guy's a little more advanced than it's typical for someone with this build. Um, when you know, I first got my my first in-person look at Preciado during instructional league, and the body is a little less, you know, the physical composition is not quite, um, It's it, he doesn't have the muscle groupings that, like, mm-hmm. say, uh, Tatis did at the same age, um, even though the measurables on paper, 6'4", 170, 180, are, are pretty similar. So it'll be interesting to see how he develops physically. Obviously a lot, a lot of the young Latin American players, uh, are just, f- you know, for the first time they're getting on uh, pro quality nutrition and weightlifting programs. And so it was still so early for this young guy, uh, to really make a judgment about what, how the body's going to project, but what the difference between what he looks like, uh, now what he looked like this fall and what he looks like next spring when he reports for minor league spring training that's going to be pretty telling about what the kid was up to in the offseason and where the body's going um so that's that's what i'll be looking for next spring but yeah it's likely a third baseman eventually because of the size um but that will probably be okay as long as he's growing into power the field to hit is already surprisingly advanced
1: so james talked about that 2016 off season. we're going to kind of jump around here, but a player that I feel like I didn't really get a fair shake of watching when I saw him, because I probably didn't get to see him enough in long stretches, was Adrian Morahone. What is the future outlook? Is this a guy that's a bullpen guy? He obviously got a little bit of major league exposure this year, but you know how does he project for the future?
2: Yeah, is tough, because you see him on the right day, and you wonder why he's Far away on a, on like say a prospect list from someone like Jesus Lazardo. It's you know ninety three ninety six, plus changeup, above average breaking ball with like much, much more advanced pitch utility than is typical for someone his age. The the constant injury stuff, which was a problem again in folly. He was scratched from, at least one start with back tightness. Uh, he's had shoulder stuff uh, that is especially concerning he's been shut down a lot for someone who's 20 years old um even times that are haven't been reported like there are IL stints that he's had essentially during spring training or during extended spring training that you know aren't on his player page uh, on MiLB so like there are hidden injuries in the in the track record as well uh, and how we weigh that on the prospect continuum is is tough right like obviously this guy's got like mid rotation stuff. And when I say mid rotation, I mean like, uh, you know, above average big league starter type stuff. Um, and for how old he is, uh, the pitchability is, is really advanced. So we'll see. He's one of those guys who with the benefit of the high speed camera, the video that we've started taking now for a little less than a year, um, over at the site, he, he's not a spin efficient fastball guy. He's a, uh, you know, the seam u- uniformity on his fastball could be improved. The spin axis of his fastball is more about sink and run than it is uh, lift. And the guys who with lift and, and ride to their fastballs are the guys who miss more bats with their fastball. So it's probably not a bat missing fastball, even though it's in the mid 90s. Um, we'll probably have him on the outside of our top 100 just because of the injury history. Uh, But on talent, he belongs squarely um, close, like probably close to the middle of it. Um, It's just the injury stuff is kind of concerning. So I don't know what they're going to do with him as far as the, the bullpen goes. I thought it was just a cheap way to get him innings into September when there wasn't really another way to get him those innings in the minors. Uh, And then they tried to pick up get, let him pick up more innings in the fall league and just, he wasn't healthy. It seemed so. I guess we'll see, but um, they could catch Lightning in a bottle and he could pitch like a mid rotation starter for a length of time. I just don't have a whole lot of confidence that he'll be able to do it consistently for, you know, six years while he's under contract.
1: I'm so glad that you said you have to catch him on the right day because I've been saying that and people are like, like people that haven't actually seen him in person are just like, I mean, he's got good stuff. He's got good stuff. I'm like, you really, you legit have to catch him on the perfect day half the time because if, if, he gets like rattled early he's just he's just done he just looks like he gets out of it
2: that's interesting i wonder if there's a difference um a smaller bodied guy like this short strider um if there's a difference in his velo from the stretch compared to uh the wind Mm -hmm. up it's not a thing i I have my notes but yeah that would be an interesting thing to note someone who struggles with but then you know putting a guy in a bullpen where he's realistically just going to throw from the stretch then becomes an issue for this type of guy. So I'm, I'm curious to see uh, if that's the case with this guy.
1: I feel like he has like uh, his, the exact opposite of him at like physique wise is Michelle bias. Uh, this yeah. is a guy that is ginormous that I was given a chair to talk to at one point because I'm a tiny dude. What is the outlook on bias? This is another guy that I didn't get to see a ton of because of the injury history. And is him being that big a big injury concern for the future?
2: That's interesting. Yeah. The uh, the biomechanical research on injury as it relates to pitcher size is not um, – it's not conclusive because on one hand, it does take someone with shorter levers with like um, a Morihone-type body, an endomorphic body. It does take – more arm acceleration to create the same, uh, amount of velocity. Right. Uh, but the problem is for longer levered guys like Baez, the part of the, part of the formula for like torque, which is a stress, essentially the stress that's put on someone's elbow or joints, um, is lever length. And so while yes, like all things being equal, the guy with a longer arm, his hand and the baseball are moving faster if the other components are the same. Uh, but the stress being put on his ligaments is arguably more like the formula is, is not uh, necessarily kind to these types of guys. So yeah, they've both had, had injury issues. Typically the way we go about thinking about it is we think you're more likely to get hurt in the future. If you've shown a history of being injured in the past, um, I think for Baez, the fact that his stuff backed up compared to that first that first full pro season when he was like 94, 97, he's now like more 92, 95, which is pretty average. Uh, he's going to have to live off of that secondary stuff a little more often with an average fastball, uh, and that that should be okay. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think it's just – his breaking ball quality is just okay. It's a plus changeup though so he's going to really have to to hammer home that change up and kind of dump the breaking ball in for strikes. I think it's more of a back end starter uh you know maybe swingman type chance that if the fastball velo spikes out of the bullpen. He's he's a setup type guy. Um, which, you know, on the future value scale is like a 45 for us. Uh, again, like someone who's just a, a layer beneath the top 100 type guy is still a valuable major league contributor, but probably not like an impact talent.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's it's funny the way the Padres have transitioned both those guys into relief roles just because of the fact that they have so many young starting pitchers. Um, I, I don't know, it's... I, what What is your feeling on either one if they will eventually be given the opportunity to start? I know Morrowland's health has a lot to do with that, but do you think that Michelle Baez will eventually be given the opportunity to start every five days for the Padres? I think so. I think that just
2: through injury attrition of the guys who you would expect to be in the rotation next year, yeah. like Lauer, Lucchesi, Margavichis, Lamette, Paddock, Quantrill like some combination of these guys will just invariably get hurt um and so at some point one of these guys is going to be pressed into action just because uh you have to expect that they would be better suited to do it and I guess uh Ronald Bolaños is sort of in this group too like mm-hmm. over the course of a season you're going to go through eight ten 10 Uh, starters. And so if they pitch well when asked, then yeah, then they'll, they'll just, why not run them out there every fifth day? Um, But if you were probably, if we were lining up the guys on the 40 man who we think, uh, you know, from most likely to least likely would be in the opening day rotation, they're probably in that six, seven, eight range right now, right? Like Lamette is definitely on there.
0: Um, Richard's.
2: Right. Oh yeah, totally forgot about Garrett Richards. Great. Yeah, uh, he's definitely on the list.
0: Yeah, but that's another injury risk, like you like definitely you mentioned as well.
2: Yes, hundred percent. So, so
0: you're, yeah. you're. I mean, you're right. There, It's going to take a team of of players, a team of starting pitchers, in order to make it through a, a successful season. Mm-hmm. And they have the bodies. We'll just have to wait. I was just curious on what you thought about Bias's future. Uh, you know, being that he does, he both pitchers have the ability to throw three or four pitches in there and can possibly get a a lineup out a third time around. So I'm just curious. They're both very young. Um, Let's transition into someone else who made their major league debut this season uh, out of the relief core. And that's Javi Guerra, uh, converted shortstop, left-handed hitter, who just took the mound this year and decided to throw triple digits. The Padres kind of threw him to the Wolves and bringing him to the Majors. Give me your thoughts on Guerra and whether or not you think that this is going to be a successful transition for the Padres and for Guerra. So,
2: yeah, I think um, it's really interesting. I understand why they hit the gas with him because he was already on the 40-man. It was important for them to see what they had. He had, I forget what the injury was. I think it might have been an oblique Um, but he had something pop up while he was sort of getting going in extended spring training that he had to be shut down for a while. So he needed more innings on the back end and had to get those in the big leagues in September. Um, you know, this is Gary's really interesting because they're clearly, uh, mental, uh, like maybe mental health is not the right way to describe it. And I don't want to like be an armchair psychologist and sit here and diagnose stuff, but the kid took failure when he was hitting, uh, hard, You know, and it followed yeah. him to the field. Like he was clearly sullen and down on himself when he would make mistakes. Some scouts called that soft. Others were a little bit more uh, egalitarian in the way that they would describe it. Um, but it was definitely a problem and probably something that the Red Sox should have told the Padres about uh, before that they sent him over in that deal. Like, um, But they didn't. And so it'll be interesting to see how that translates to late inning relief, where you kind of have to have a certain type of mental makeup. Yes. Um, But from an athleticism perspective, from an arm strength perspective, from an early, uh, you know, taking quickly to a viable breaking ball standpoint, like this is what these guys look like. Like this is how quickly it happens uh, for for guys like Kenley Jansen. Jason Mott, other conversion arms who have been successful, it typically happens pretty quickly. Uh, so for this guy to step on the mound in his first bullpen and be sitting like 97, 99 in that first bullpen in front of the entire front office, um, it was like, you know, it was a joyful moment. And the buzz that that was created on the backfields during ex- extended spring training was kind of incredible. Like he was the first guy who. When I was sitting on extended games, other scouts were telling me like, dude, you have to go see Baez, get in there, he's throwing every Tuesday and Friday, get in there and see him throw his two innings, it is ridiculous, um, so I think it's going to work, uh, the the unknown stuff is how he deals with being on the, a big league mound in high pressure situations, we'll just have to see how that goes, I'm really pulling for this kid, like it was a, it was a rocky road for him to get here, um, but this is how fast it comes together when it works, uh, and so I'm pretty optimistic considering.
1: I want to talk about the catching situation because I feel like there's a spoil of riches down there when it comes to, you know, you had Torrens had the year that he had in Amarillo. You had Camposano. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, you know, Blake Hunt, Austin Allen. Which one of these catching prospects outside of Camposano is the most impressive to you?
2: Ooh, that's tough. Um Austin Allen it's going to be interesting if we get uh Robo arms because then some of the stuff that makes him deficient on defense doesn't matter as much anymore and you can just he can just go uh rake his numbers are definitely inflated above what I would expect him to be doing uh, I don't think he's a 320 uh you know hitter with yeah. Whatever, I don't know what it was. 650 slugging or whatever. I think it's more of a 250, uh, 320 OBP, four, you know, 70, 480 slugging type guy, which is still huge if he can catch. And um but uh, but yeah, so um so he's certainly the guy where the the scale tips depending on what happens with the electronic strike zone coming here soon. Um, Hunt actually has – Hunt hits the ball harder more consistently than Allen does. Uh, But when Allen runs into one, like it's really pretty explosive. So Hunt is more of like the middle of the road. Like this is what an average um, like sort of raw power guy looks like. And it's just hard to say whether over time a teenage catching prospect – like they're historically very volatile. You guys have the only uh, high school like high-picked – Highly selected high school catching prospect who has panned out at all over the last 10 years um, in Austin Hedges. There's just a, a, the attrition rate on these guys is, is very high. Um, so, with Blake Hunt being sort of in that average physical tools category, if that stuff starts to erode over time because of the beating he takes, then maybe he's more of a backup. And then Torrens is not really on the. Um, the prospect radar because his eligibility exhausted during his uh, that rule five year when he was up the entire year, so he's not you know quote unquote prospect eligible. But the folks I've talked to about him, he is also in that like average performing uh, group. Specifically, like he's in the um, he's got like above average uh, exit velocities. Uh, I was told, but like a well below average. Launch angle, like it's a flat plane swing that's probably not going to produce a lot of power, even though he's hitting the baseball pretty hard. Um, and then his defensive abilities are probably the best of this group. Um, uh, so I would say comfortably Torrens projects as like an offensive-minded backup with some ceiling if his swing can can get dialed in, uh, so that there's more power. Hunt is probably the more the most stable of the group. Uh, he's pretty generic and then Allen is a guy who might be huge if it turns out that oh there's a dh in the nl or oh you know you don't have to be a good receiver to catch anymore because it's not important to frame
1: so i asked you to leave him out the first time what makes Luis campesano so special
2: he's just for a catcher like the body and the athleticism the explosiveness is like ridiculous like it's hard to find guys like this um if you go back and find video of of Campusano as an amateur, especially the summer before uh, his draft. And he's a soft-bodied, slower, heavier guy, and that is just not the case right now. Like there are few prospects who have undergone uh, a physical transformation quite like like this, and uh, it has really unlocked. Not only has it has it created stuff on the offensive side with um you know with power, um, but he's just mu- a much more agile uh, defensive player now than he was that, that summer when he was most heavily scouted ahead of the draft. And so, yeah, he's, uh, and you can't reshape your body like that unless you have good makeup. Like that's you, that's just a sign. You can sort of patch that in. Uh, I I don't need someone to be like, yeah, this kid works for me to know he works. Like, look at what he's done to his physique. So, uh, yeah, that could be, that could be, um, significant he's he's really grown as a defender even if the the rules don't change then we're talking about someone who can who's capable of catching
0: nice uh any thoughts on uh gatewood or driscoll that were drafted by the Padres the last couple of years to catchers that are maybe not going to remain at the position
2: yeah so driscoll driscoll's t- was tough for me to evaluate i never saw him at george mason okay um and when he was here for instructional league and then got reps late in the fall league, I saw him a bunch. He was a high priority evaluation for me simply because I had not seen him a whole lot prior. Okay. Um, and he did not look good, but for guys, you know, coming out of their draft year, your college guy, your season starts in February, you get drafted, uh, you go, you play pro ball the rest of the summer. Some of that time is spent in Arizona where it's super hot. Then you're playing instructional league ball into the fall. And then you go to fall league where you have to catch an entire staff of new pitchers. It's the best stuff you've ever caught in your entire life. And it's just the longest season of your entire life. So I've been taught by uh, folks, you know, scouts who I I trust. When you see a guy like this in the fall league, if he looks sluggish, if he looks uh, just bad in general, just toss it out. Um okay. he's probably exhausted. So that's what I'm inclined to do with Driscoll, and I'm more or less we're gonna leave our pre-draft evaluation on him, which is like in that thirty five plus tier where, hey, this is a small school player. there's some some ceiling because of the projection, like with the skills. Um, we don't know a whole lot about how the hit tool is gonna translate because he's never seen pro quality pitching before. And uh, we don't want to use our fall look to to judge him on that either way. So he's just sort of in the in the unknown uh, territory at this point. And then who's the other guy you mentioned? Um, gatewood. Gatewood.
0: Gatewood. Yes.
2: Oh yeah. So like gatewood went to, uh, tri cities and like the bat to ball stuff is kind of concerning. Um, he's another guy where there's, there's power. Um, but the bat to ball stuff is, is, is pretty raw. So, um, so yeah, that's, he's a high risk catching prospect as well. Um, but there's definitely some pop there.
0: Just curious on your thoughts on those. Those guys are kind of fringe, fringe type prospects. But just curious if you had any upside uh, thoughts on them. Um, let's stick on the A.Z.L. and someone who actually okay. performed remarkably well, and that's C.J. Abrams, who hit hit amazing 401 in his 32 games there. Uh, put up a 1.104 OPS. Uh, you know, there were whispers coming out of the draft that whether or not he would be able to hit. Pitching, professional pitching, especially in particular the fastballer. G- give me your thoughts on Abrams and, and just how impressive he was, especially the power that he showed, which was kind of a concerning factor for him. Um, I mean, how impressive it ha- was he for, for his first showing in professional baseball?
2: Yeah, the, uh, the defensive stuff at shortstop is where we're not sure. I'm inclined to say that he is not a shortstop. He just doesn't have that... The way I would describe it is he can't make all the throws. When he's stepping into a throw, he has above-average arm strength, but his throwing utility um, is below average. So I I have him projected in center field.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, yeah, he rakes. You know, this he hit all through high school. He was a 70 or 80 runner all through high school. Even if he didn't think he was a shortstop, he was going to play somewhere up the middle. Uh, could his you know swing use a little bit more? lift arguably, arguably, but his feel for contact is so good that, you know, you, it, I think it's fair to say that his feel for impacting the baseball in the air, uh, is just going to come naturally, uh, where his numbers way up above what I would expect going forward. Yeah. But, um, I think it's fair to project a seven on the hit tool, uh, and you know, may, even if he's not lifting the ball just by virtue of the fact that he's making so much contact, he's going to hit for power uh, and he's going to hit for artificial power through hustle doubles and, uh, balls that he turns into triples because of the speed, uh, like his, he's going to hit for power, even if it's not home run power. So yeah, he's, um, he's a, he's a, a potential all-star. The, the initial, Uh, run in pro ball against pro pitching is very encouraging that group at the top of the draft class and the top of the July 2nd class that was in uh, the AZL last year so him Bobby Witt and Marco Luciano those were the top three in the AZL you kind of order those guys uh, differently depending on your personal taste and you could make arguments for any of the three of them Uh, but that is definitely the cut above everybody else Um, and Abrams is part of it. So, yeah, I think he's, he's a potential star. I think he'll be, um, you know, in the, uh, the 55 future value tier for us this off season, someone who's in like the top, uh, you know, 20 to 30 prospects overall in baseball.
1: You know, there's two guys here in Amarillo that really struggled this year to really just hit the baseball. Uh, one of them's Buddy Reed and another one is Hudson Potts. Do you think that they have bounce back seasons or is this kind of it is what it is with these guys here?
2: I think uh, I think that it's probably the latter. Um, I don't think Buddy's swing works. I think what you're hoping for from him is, uh, you know, a less than what Margot has given you. You know, Margot is a platoon center fielder basically in a late-inning defensive replacement. Uh, Buddy is more in the uh, Billy Hamilton realm where it's like this is a plus-plus defensive center fielder. You could argue we should roster him to just do that and pinch run late in games. He definitely has power. He's more physical than Billy Hamilton is. Uh, But the feel for contact is is lacking. So you know, Buddy is a fourth or fifth outfielder for me. Hudson Potts I still think – that he's definitely going to strike out a ton, but there's enough juice there and, and I give him enough of a chance to get to it, excuse me consistently, um, that he might still be that you know Christian Walker uh, type of, of first base, third base uh, with power where he's striking out a ton but is still getting to the power. Um, you know, Kevin Crone, you know, this type of, of player, like a low-end, everyday uh, player at first or third base. You could argue that um, you know, Ty France is just a better version of that because there's there's a little bit more uh, contact ability. You could argue that Jason Vossler is a superior version of this because he hits... Left-handed and has uh, similar offensive skills, although Potts is, is significantly younger than him. You know, but this is like the realm. You know, these are where your decision points are as it relates to Potts. Is this guy's going to play a big league role uh, for someone? But there, it's easy to see how, um, you know, he's a, he's a role player, and you could find someone who's superior. And you know, with Manny Machado at third base, um, and Josh Naylor at first base. Uh, and Eric Hosmer entrenched at first base. Like there are other pieces in the org that are that are clogging his ability to do that. So he's a likely trade chip, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, it, I, he's he's a prototypical third baseman, power hitting, right-handed, good defender. Um, how much does his age factor in your evaluations of him? I mean, he's always played at a uh, played against higher competition. Yeah, uh, he was 20 all year this season in Amarillo, which was one of the youngest players in the league. Uh, how much of that does does that go into a factor when you when you try to determine whether or not he's going to be able to make those transitions with the bat and and make more contact and, and just be more productive? It's huge. Um, okay.
2: It it for it forgives poor performance, um, uh-huh. and it uh, bolsters the way we think about average performance. Mm-hmm. And more than anything else, we just with guys. Uh, especially Potts' age, he's coming into his age 21 season now. He's the age of a college junior who yeah. would be draft eligible. And so, if we took, you know, like pick a guy from one of the last two drafts who has a similar profile, right? So, like, let's take uh, Andrew Vaughn. Okay. okay. Uh, you know, Andrew Vaughn is the same age. He has less defensive ability than Potts. They have comparable raw power, but Vaughn has much better. Uh, bat to ball skills. So we would have Vaughn uh, ahead of Potts at this point, but it should give you some idea of where Potts fits in that continuum. And so, like, if you wanted to do it for, you know, the 2020 draft, right, like the other side of, of, um, of like the Potts, uh, phenotype, I guess, is like that big burly a uh, mashing college first or third baseman, um, you know, Josh Young, who went in the middle of the first round to, uh, to Texas. He's probably a slightly better version of this player, but like we're getting closer to what Potts is, you know, so like, you can kind of start to triangulate where a guy like Potts goes in a draft. It's probably still towards the back of the first round, uh, or in the comp round or early second round, which kind of gives us an idea of where we should have him placed on prospects list. So, um, while the age, as it gives context to his statistics, is important, mm-hmm. but it, we also look toward the draft as a way of calibrating where this guy should be on our lists. Like, where does this guy fit among college hitters in the last couple drafts? Where did this guy go in the draft? What future value uh, is typically, you know, coming off the board? During that part of the draft, and that kind of gives us our answer as to where we should place huts and pots. Very process-oriented, the way uh, age factors
0: into how we think about players. Awesome, awesome explanation. It's it's intriguing to hear how you guys are able to kind of factor in little things like this and, and, and kind of make your determinations and uh, prospects value can go up and down. It's seeming seemingly at a drop of a hat with, with a good productive year. So um, let's talk about someone who's definitely trending the right way. And that would be Joey Cantillo uh, fastball yeah. velocity is up from him uh, this season. Uh, you know, he's showing some decent breaking stuff uh, in, in speaking to him. You, you, Get an idea that he knows how to pitch. He's not just going to be a thrower. He's going to go out there and he's going to locate his stuff and and pitch. And you get excited when you see the the mid-90s fastball from him. Uh, Give me a little bit about Cantillo and and whether or not you see him projecting and keep growing, if you will. I mean, he's only 19. Uh, He'll be 20 next season. Give us a little bit about uh, Mr. Cantillo from Hawaii.
2: Yeah, so... You're right. So the fastball velo is up, but it's still below average. But what we've yeah. learned, uh, like I think I have him averaging um, 89, like sitting 87, 91, touching a two. Um, but the thing that we've learned about, like they're just all, they're all these guys who don't throw very hard and yet their fastball plays. And some of them not only does it play, but it is like elite. Like, so Colin Poche, who the uh, in the Rays system, who was up in the big league bullpen uh, for the first time last year. He averages like 92, 93, but just blows dudes away with it. And there are a bunch of guys like that in the minors who we've had to ask, okay, what do these guys share? Are there common traits among them? And turns out there are. Um, once they get to the big leagues, we can see that they have big vertical movement on their fastballs. Uh, but the mechanical components... It's a lot of vertical arm slots, fastballs that backspin, uh, like deceptive high arm angle type guys uh, whose fastballs live at the top of the zone. Uh, Cantillo is absolutely one of these guys. So um, we think that even though the, the velo is not great, that this fastball plays. It's got big life and ride at the top of the zone. Um, you know, Justin Verlander's arm angle is like this too. You know, like some of these guys have monster velo uh, in addition to the traits that help the fastball play up. And so, uh, yeah, and yeah, Cantillo can absolutely pitch. If there's a core competency uh, with how the Padres have scouted pitching on the amateur side, it's guys who can pitch. Uh, they move fast. Uh, Luke Casey and Ed Margavichis are this type of guy. Mackenzie Gore can really pitch. Cantillo can really pitch. He's got a really good changeup. The um his arm slot creates vertical action on the breaking ball as well, so that's going to be a viable offering for him uh, at some point. But yeah, um he's gonna he's gonna dominate with a fastball that seems fringy on the face, but it's got all these other components going. It would seem that enable it to play, um and the pitchability uh helps helps that as well. So yeah, I'm I'm in on this guy. Um, we we still don't have a great idea of what is the. What is the correction, right? Like, how much should we round up on this guy's fastball, even though it's 87 to 92? You no, know, we're not exactly sure. It'd be—it's pretty rare to have a guy who has a fastball at that velocity who, um, you know, has a plus fastball. So, it's—it's uh, it's a 40 grade fastball on velo, but maybe a 50-55 grade fastball uh, when you factor in the movement. Uh, it's weird. There aren't a whole lot of guys like this, but you can't deny the performance. It's a, it's a, it's what we flagged him for early in the year. Like, okay, who is this guy? What is going on here? Uh, and the more investigating we did, the more we realized, ah, it's a guy whose fastball plays for this reason. Um, but we're still trying to to calibrate how we value this type of guy um, amongst his peers who maybe have the fastball doesn't move quite like this, you know, like Moriho it's harder but it doesn't have this type of movement like which do we prefer at this point we don't have a firm answer for that yet
1: so i feel like you know we can go from one pitcher to another two guys that i got to see this year again is david bednar number one who i want to ask you about first before we get into muñoz and his electric arm you know what was kind of the the view of bednar before the season and did that change at all this year
2: we – let's see. We had um, coming into the year, our 2019 offseason list. I can tell you exactly where we had Bednar in a moment. Okay, so we had Bednar 42nd in the system. Uh, we had a 40 future value on him, which is where we would stick like single inning uh, relievers. He was 88 to 92 um, in college. He went to uh, Lafayette college which is near where i'm from uh originally in pennsylvania and had you know like a good 12 to 6 curveball and then the velo spiked in pro ball and uh, he developed a good split in pro ball so uh, as we get to the point where you know the it's going to be more important for relievers to have three pitches if they start instituting two or three batter minimums or wherever it is uh, this guy's got it. So I have him as a valuable bullpen piece, even though he's 25. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I think he'll be up for good next year. Um, this is, uh, I don't know where the, the deal came from. I don't have specifics as to what the, the, uh, the player dev stuff that, uh, went into his improvement, but he's definitely for real. I think he's going to be a, a fixture in the bullpen for the next half decade.
1: So let's talk about Munoz. You know, we just talked about somebody's velo. Like, let's talk about somebody who (laughs) has excess amounts of it. Uh, You know, what is the projection on a guy like Munoz? And can you really project a guy on a guy like Munoz, especially when you're throwing that hard? And Tommy John seems to be like evident for everybody.
2: Yeah, the arm action, he's really like Craig Kimbrell, right? Like, to look at the delivery and look at how violent the arm action is. The only other guys who I've seen like this are Billy Wagner and, and Craig Kimbrel. The breaking ball quality is not at that level. Um, we've seen guys with um, fastballs like this who haven't done anything, right? Tiago Vieira, who used to be in the Mariners system. I think he's in the White Sox system now. I've seen that guy bump 103. Uh, Mauricio Cabrera, who was with the Braves. And I think he's also with the White Sox now. That guy was sitting like 100-102, to 102, touching 104. Nothing came up from those guys. Uh, so you need more than the velo. Munoz still has to tighten the breaking ball a little bit. I think he will. I think he'll get there. Um, but, yeah, man, this is like – it could be Jordan Hicks or this Chapman, you know, late-inning elite closer if the breaking ball comes. Uh, but um, – certainly just based on the fastball alone, how much it spins, which is kind of incredible. Um, It's, he's going to be, he's going to be something, you know, like a guy who throws this hard could throw 60, 65% fastballs and still be fine in single inning stints, just because it is so, it is so hard. Can you imagine um, having Eric Lauer start a game and then it's the sixth inning and You just decide, you know what? There's a runner on second. There's a runner on first. The middle of the opposing team's order is coming up. They've just seen Eric Lauer twice. And now in the middle of this game, they're going to have to catch up to 103 in this high leverage situation. Like this is how this type of guy should be deployed is, you know, it's a different look. Uh, Even if the breaking ball never comes, that fastball is going to, be tough for hitters to to correct and and time um coming off of you know like one of these soft tossing lefty bulk type guys uh, who are throwing early innings so like the the possibilities with this guy are, are pretty interesting even if the breaking ball never comes and if it does you just have an elite reliever
0: yeah you know player development is going to be key for this this project team i mean they have so much youth and so many prospects that that need to be properly developed uh the pitching side of the player development has improved for this franchise, but the hitting size still seems to be lacking. Um, give me a little bit about that, and I, I know you've you've talked about this a little bit here and there about the Padres. Um, give me a little bit about the fact that they do need to improve their player development and and just get the most out of these young men that that are on the the, the cusp of making it to the major leagues. You know, I've seen them
2: doing interesting stuff on the backfield. Okay, um, you know, like to to get uh, the barrel on plane, I've seen guys working with cricket bats so that they can okay. more visually see the way that they have to, uh, you know, the attack angle of their barrel in order to to uh, to get it to a point where they're making impact contact. Like there is interesting stuff going on. Obviously, from a player dev perspective,, uh, the Padres are a little bit more traditional. There's still an emphasis on playing. Um, games for instructional league, for instance, which, which I love because it means I get a chance to see players more often, but it is a thing that more and more teams are moving away from. Only like half a dozen teams in Arizona had what um, what I would consider like a traditional instructional league where you're playing games. Most of them are moving away uh, from that toward uh, physical conditioning and – Ah, uh, just other forms of education, uh, including mechanical, you know, hitting and swinging, uh, pitching mechanics, stuff like that, um, mm-hmm. that is game related. So, so the Padres are definitely traditional in a player development sense, but I wouldn't necessarily say that they're not good at it. Um, some of some of it is just the expectations that we've had for. The farm system, specifically players from Latin America, are they've been significant, right? Like, you know, Gabriel Arias is probably just going to be a 40 bat, but um, he's going to be a good defensive shortstop with power. Like, that's still something, you know. Some of this is just what they're able to do as hitters is coming into focus. We can't just keep dreaming on it as these guys approach the upper levels of the minors. It wasn't realistic to expect all of them to be great hitters. Um, you know, buddy Reed had issues hitting in college. You know, I I don't think the issues that some of the guys that they've acquired are necessarily fixable. Um, that we just have to have realistic expectations for what these guys are going to, um, become, you know, not everyone can have Louis Urias contact ability. Um, so it's, it's interesting player development is changing right now. Hitting is, is definitely behind pitching in general, like across the board in baseball player development. Uh, because you know, the pitcher, the pitcher is just in control of what he's doing. There's a cognitive aspect to hitting that is harder for us to measure. And it's harder for us to evaluate as an industry.
0: Definitely. It's, it's an ever evolving sport. It's something that's always going to be changing. And it's, it's just, Interesting to hear different aspects of it. Um, give us a little bit about Luis Arias, uh, in particular the late kick. He showed awesome power numbers in, in the PCL, but who didn't playing in that league? Yeah. Um, give me a little bit. In San Diego, there seems to be a sentiment that the Padres are losing patience with him. Uh, they, they seem to be shopping him. And, and just to be blunt about it, it seems like if, if they're going to make a prospect trade, his name is being mentioned. Um, is there anything you're hearing about Urias? I mean, you know, the, the contact is still there, but there's some whispers that he's having issues with squaring up major league fastballs. Um, I, I don't know. What are your thoughts about Luis Urias and his long term abilities?
2: Yeah. Uh, this is this type of player. The uh, super high contact rate middle infielder without uh, overt physical tools like power and speed is traditionally one that was undervalued uh, on public prospect lists. And we made a conscious decision to try to value it properly. And you could probably argue that. The way we look at uh, Vidal Brujan and Nick Madrigal, and the way we that we looked at Luis Urias was us overcorrecting. Uh, there's enough of a big league sample from Urias now to know that, like, yes, this guy has uh, below average power or just something shy of it, maybe a half grade uh, beneath average. Um, and the way that they his swing has been tinkered with uh, to try to coax more power out of that swing to try to involve the lower half some more, Mm -hmm. uh, is maybe questionable. It was, you know, maybe you don't take, um, something that was working as well as things were for Urias and try to change them. Uh, but for as young as he was again, like about the age of a college junior, there's still plenty of time for that to get dialed in. We had a 55 on him, uh, before he, he graduated at this point, right? Um, Yes, certainly had to have but we did a 55 on him, which is like, hey, we think this is an above uh, average major league regular based on the the amount of contact, but not the quality of contact like the type of player that DJ LeMayhew was uh, during his time in um, in Colorado is the type of player who maybe we expected Urias to to become. Uh, Maybe it's it's shy of that now. Uh, But, you know, like. Colton Wong was was a three and a half war player this year. Whit Merrifield is this type of player, right? So, I think there's still some outs where this guy is um, an average or better everyday second baseman. Uh, and then, but the more likely outcome at this point is more like the uh, Cesar Hernandez, um, like that type of player, where it's a low end everyday player not really impact someone who we should have had you know the middle toward the back of a top 100 list rather than like the top 30 where we had him
1: so I got to talk about a couple guys that I think are going to populate my infield next year here in Amarillo first one I got to ask about is Xavier Edwards you know he spent yeah. a little bit of time in like Ellsmore this year about what like a fourth of the season or something like that like 33 percent of the season what you know? What makes him special? Is it just the physical capabilities, or is it something? Or is it something else with him?
2: Uh, X is the guy who, in his high school draft class, um, if we were just taking players to play like a game, at that time, like drafting kids on a schoolyard, he would have gone first. Uh, he was a, among the most. You know, this is like the. Instincts, baseball acumen, hustle, uh, explosive speed, contact ability. It's it's a leadoff hitter, right? It's like an old school uh, leadoff hitter. The power is way below average. You know, it's like probably thirty five, um, or forty raw power. This does he's just not going to make a lot of high end uh, contact, but he's going to make a lot of contact. Period. And he's got a great feel for the strike zone uh so it is like the it is the type of guy who he's either going to end up hitting eighth or ninth or hitting first he can play both middle infield positions he's probably a plus uh defensive second baseman he's you know high end makeup uh highly competitive i think he was the youngest player on this team USA premier 12 Roster that uh, you know Team USA baseball just sent over to Asia to play over the last couple of weeks, which is also telling. Uh, just absolutely at the very least is going to be like a Swiss Army knife up the middle type who can do a bunch of things. Like yeah, I really like uh, Xavier Edwards. We have him towards the back of the uh, top 100 right now just because of how. We have a high degree of confidence in him being like a valuable everyday player of some kind, even if it's like a super utility type who is still playing, uh, pretty much every day, even if he's playing a bunch of different positions. Uh, but he's not going to be like a middle of the order hitter or anything like that. But um, yeah, he's going to be so much fun to watch, uh, next year at Double A. As like a twenty year old, it's going to be um, pretty interesting.
1: The other half of that infield is probably going to wind up being Gabriel Arias. How big of a yeah. difference for me is it going to be from going from Owen Miller every day at shortstop to Gabriel Arias?
2: Yeah, he's flashy. Um, he's uh, like I said before. I think he's going to hit for power, and he's going to strike out a ton, and makes like be a, an excellent defensive shortstop. Again, that's not. I don't know if that's. There's a guy that's blocking him. A lot. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, there's a superstar, like a top of the scale, uh, one of the best players in baseball is blocking him. So I think that this is another guy who you'll see uh, bandied about trade rumors this offseason. Yeah. Um, they have to consolidate some of this prospect capital. They have to. There's just not enough room on the 40-man for all these guys without losing them for nothing. So um, if this is a prime candidate to be moved uh, this offseason. I would actually have odds on that you don't see this guy play shortstop at Amarillo next year uh, just because – that where are you, you going to do with this guy? Like Where are you going to stick him? I think he has to – is his 40-man year – Next Uh,
0: season, I believe it's
2: next season. I'm checking the site right now. We have a
0: 2016 17 uh international guy, right?
2: So he's rule five eligible December 2020. You're right, so yeah. So this guy maybe this guy still has a year before they have to move him. Mm -hmm. Um, but that year creates leverage, right? Like this time next year teams are going to be like oh yeah you, you know you want to Gabriel Arias to, to be the only guy we get back in a trade you know you have to put him on your 40 man yeah. in a couple of weeks yeah, you so how about you yeah, exactly. you know pony up AJ yeah. so uh, they might before they lose leverage on that end they might be uh might be smart to move him now
0: yeah you you're you're correct on that matter they they're definitely going to lose leverage because they're just just fluctuated with so much talent that is going to need to be protected eventually um let's stick with the Amarillo theme here And I'd love to hear your thoughts about Taylor Trammell. Uh, It was a big hoopla. The Framium Reyes trade here in in July, uh, bringing in Mr. Trammell. Uh, Give me your thoughts on him and whether or not he's going to be able to find the the consistency that a lot of young players lack. Uh, You know, you see him with such high upside and then you see the low valleys. So give us a little bit about Trammell and and what you think from him. Yeah,
2: so... I have Trammell in left field because of the arm strength. I think it's kind of a problem in center field. Okay. So, some of the other guys we've seen with this level of arm strength, Ben Revere, um, you know, they just end up in left field. But I think he'll be an elite defender over there. He has a ton, like such good idea of the strike zone. So good. And I don't think he's going to hit for much power. Like the swing, the approach to contact is more like spray. You're going to see a lot of opposite field doubles from this guy. Uh, it's it's kind of Brett Gardner-y. Okay. Um, but yeah, like again, high-end competitive nature, just really excellent uh, makeup, an intense on-the-field guy, really plays hard, feel for content. Like it is – It's all that stuff. I just think it's left field and not a lot of in-game power. So we still have a 55 on him. We think he's going to be an above-average everyday player. That one year he had, there was an outlier year for him two years ago, 2018, uh, where he was hitting for more power. We saw what he did at the Futures game that year, but um, there have been questions throughout the industry raised about the baseballs at that event. Um, okay. no one who took BP at that futures game ever took a BP as good as that, uh, again, that I've <laughs> seen. Um, so, you know, that, those bombs he hit, uh, during the, the 2018 futures game were kind of just like, yeah, it's, it, you know, we've corrected on that and don't think that that's the realistic, uh, the realistic thing going forward. Um, but I don't think, I, I think that the, some of the struggles he had before, um, the trade were um, like, I think he's gonna be fine. So, so yeah, I think he's going to be a really good everyday player. I liked that trade for them. I'm not a, you know, a, a frown meal guy, um, that type of profile, that right-handed hitting, no defensive value profile is pretty available on, um, yeah. on the open market. Like that's Jesus Aguilar on waivers. Yeah, uh, you know, that's Corey Dickerson. Left-handed uh, version, right. yeah. <laughs> right, so like there are guys like that floating around. I thought that uh, it made sense for Cleveland to do it because they so desperately needed uh, outfield help uh, during their competitive window. Um, so I thought that it was it was forward-thinking of the Padres to to pounce on someone who I think is better a better fit long-term in Tramel.
1: Just what is like what is the future? like value on guys like him. Is there a guy, is there a prospect out there like him right now?
2: Um. Yeah, there, there are. So like, uh, th- this is a class of player, like a bucket of player that definitely exists where it's a contact and on base oriented offensive profile and a tweener defensive fit. Like there's, it's not clear if they'll be able to play center field or not for whatever reason. Um and so like uh Corbin Carroll right who the, the Diamondbacks drafted in the first round is more of a sure fit in center field but has a similar offensive look Alec Thomas another uh D-backs guy uh is almost exactly like this I mentioned the Brett Gardner comparison earlier it is that type of uh of player the the opposite field um the feel for opposite field contact that Trammell has is pretty rare um And it's because it's not being taught, you know, like most kids are being taught to lift the ball in the air to their pull side now. Um, and this is just a thing Tramiel has pretty naturally that he's been successful with it to this far. And I can understand the impulse to try to, to try to want to coax more pull side power out of him. I don't think he necessarily has like the big raw that you, that you, that you makes you want to make this change. You know, like I would just let him be, um, but yeah, like it's definitely a dwindling bucket of player that does exist. Uh, and it's more obvious when a player is this type of player because it is standing out now as unique among the other guys who are just trying to like lift and pull, lift and pull.
1: Last question that I have, and I'm sure James has one more Reggie Lawson is a guy that I didn't get to see a lot because of an injury that I wasn't even told about or hadn't even found out about until like a couple months ago. What is the what is the outlook on Reggie Lawson and you know did his AZL performance uh, kind of help you at all in kind of analyzing him
2: Uh yeah so he yeah Lawson came late there was a whole um there's a whole group of Padres guys like Driscoll was one of them Morehon was another guys who were at instructs the older group at instructs Tremel was there as well uh who, who only did a little bit of stuff in Arizona before they went to the, um, like the prospect showcase that, uh, the Don Welke classic, um, mm-hmm. at Petco, which is just a great idea. Um, let me see if I can pull up my notes on Lawson's last, um, start in the fall league. Cause I know that he was there, uh, towards the end I think he threw like in Salt River at Salt River the last day of the regular season. I just want to pull up. Yeah, I mean
0: but. he's he's an impressive young pitcher. I mean he elected not to go through the the elbow surgery, and it looks like it's a, it's gonna work out for him. There's always that concern though that the the elbow a little dinged up. So did he have I don't a know. P.R.P. What?
2: Do you guys know if did he have a P.R.P. injection?
0: I Is believe he did. They did. Okay. Yes, I believe they. I believe he did, and, and that's. He, he had contemplated whether or not going through the surgery or not and decided to go that route, and velocity's up. His comfort level's up. Uh, I think what he said he was going to do was scrap the slider. Uh, I saw him at the, the Futures game and talked to him briefly. Uh, he, 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 his belief was the slider was what was damaging his elbow, so he's going to go more uh, curve change-up now. Um, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. The, the performances in the AFL were, were pretty impressive, uh, give me your thoughts on him. I mean, he's still twenty two, gonna be twenty two most of next season. there's There's some upside with him, i would I would say.
2: right. yeah, the the velo has been up and down. He's had some injury stuff dating back to that senior year in high school. Uh, <laughs> there are definitely people in in baseball who think that this is a uh, you know a multi pitch reliever. We have him evaluated more as a number four number five, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, type of starter. Uh, just because the feel for the breaking ball has always been there, his fall league run was was uh, he made you know I think it was three starts or three appearances or whatever. He only threw uh, eleven innings, but they were good. I think he walked only one or two guys in that eleven innings. I, he definitely struck out more um, than a batter per inning while he was here, um, but um, it's again like so much of. Uh, so much of like uh, the what value pitchers are are providing right now depends on how many innings they can go, but teams are taking a different look at you know the traditional. You're throwing 160 to 200 innings as a starter, or you're throwing 60, 70 innings as a reliever, and that's it. There's more in between uh, area now, and so if you're deficient because your command is fringy or you don't have that third or fourth pitch you you don't have to just you don't get pigeonholed as a a single inning reliever anymore um and so i think it's possible for uh someone like Lawson even if he does scrap that slider to be a multi-inning reliever or uh you know just something like that where there's he's more than a single inning reliever but not quite uh a workhorse starter so um his all right so here it is um this is from october 18th or 19th, this is um, the start from which uh, Morihone was scratched due to um, his back issue. I have lost in sitting 93 to 96 um, with a power changeup in the upper 80s and a low 80s curveball like curveball 78 to 81 so uh, that's where the velo was at at the end of the fall league so yeah you're right if he did have PRP or if they had a decision to make between rehab and surgery in any way uh, it seems like they made the right call
0: yeah he's he's performing well and and you like to see that it's it's always not it's not always the case uh, when it goes electing to go that route instead of surgery so you know, it's tough pitchers can go down at any second. So it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a tough, tough thing for sure. Uh, Eric, thank you so much for your time. I have one quick question for you. Um, I'd love to get your impression about Hudson head, uh, a, a talent, oh, yeah. a first round talent that the Padres were able to kind of steal with a third round pick. Um, give me your thoughts on the upside from him. I've seen him uh, a couple times in batting practice with impressive swing gap to gap power there's a lot to like with with what you see from him. Uh, give me your thoughts and impression on, on young Mr. Head.
2: Yeah, so the Padres have done this in that that third-round area a lot the last couple yeah. of years, right, where they take, yeah. like, the high school pop-up guy. Uh, the pots. <laughs> Right, so, like, Mason House. Right, yes. Mason House did not do anything on the high school showcase circuit. He was relative unknown, who had big-time physical ability, But we weren't sure how he was going to deal with pro quality pitching because he had never faced it before, and he uh, flopped. And like Mason Thompson was injured, and like they took him anyway. Like they take a big swing in those middle rounds um, lately. Head uh, in the A.Z.L. I really liked. He's a plus runner. You're right. It's all fields contact ability. Uh, The frame, in my opinion, does not portend a whole lot of power. I, I think it's going to be a contact driven uh profile. But yeah, like the feel for contact is there. I don't have the same concerns like uh you know Mason House just cannot he just can't hit.
0: Like Yeah, he can't, can't just hit. turns out he can't, out he can't, can't do it. Yeah. Right.
2: So this kid is not like that. The he adjusted to pro quality pitching pretty quickly, even though he hadn't seen elite uh high school pitching before this. So feeling pretty good about Hudson Head. He'll be in that that 40 plus uh, future value tier for us um, coming up here this off season where it's like a guy who they got in the third round who probably belonged in the sandwich round, early second round.
0: Awesome. Awesome. It's, it's nice to see them doing this, uh, doing their due diligence and, and finding these, these young players and and, and taking a risk. Cause you, cause sometimes you, you have to do that. I mean, every play, every player that's drafted is a risk and it's nice to see them go the extra mile and, right. and, and do things like that.
2: Right. Like um, what reasonably do you expect to to get in the third round? Like, yeah, right? Like might as well take a swing at someone who has a
0: lot of risk. If the upside is it merits it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, one more thing before we get out of here, I'm wondering if you had, uh, your thoughts on the Jace Tingler hire. And if you had any interaction with him over the years, uh, in, 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 around the backfields and stuff.
2: Uh, I have not had any firsthand interaction with, uh, Jace Tingler. He is a person of, uh, he's well, uh, He's very reputable, you know, like people like Jace Tingler, um, the stuff that he did with Texas is pretty strong. Like the results were strong. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, I don't have a whole lot to say about it. Um, I think it's pretty hard to evaluate managers. I think most managers exist in the middle where they're just neutral uh, you have a handful of managers who are really excellent, and you have a handful who are clearly not. <laughs> but for the most part, they're they're all sort of grouped in the middle. Um, I uh, it'll be interesting to see what the in-game management is like. Yes. Um, but so much of the manager's job is done in a clubhouse stuff that we have no idea what's going on. We don't really have access to it, so um, I tend to to withhold judgment of uh of of manager's abilities just because yeah. it's it's hard to evaluate
0: yeah for sure it's, it's interesting that he's a player development type of guy and that seems to be what they need with with such a young ball club so we'll have to see if he's able to get results from this young franchise for sure uh eric thank you so much for the time we, we appreciate we, we ran a little over but you know we could sit here and, and name off all sure. 55 prospects and, and get your get your thoughts on them the, the, the system is so deep
2: yeah, it's it's a an exciting time to uh, be a Padres fan, especially if you're interested in this type of stuff. I got one question for you guys before I split. Yeah, How sure. do you guys feel about the Brown
0: threat? I, you know, being a lifelong Padres fan, you know, I'm, uniforms were never really a big thing for me. I, I'm more about product on the field and and just been demanding better accountability from the franchise. I do admire the fact that we have our own identity now the the brown is a color that's kind of signifies the padres there aren't very many pro franchises that wear that color um it's a step in the right direction i like that the fan base kind of demanded it and the 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 ownership kind of took the lead and, and just kind of went and did it i hope that the fans demand a world series appearance from this franchise and more accountability as far as the everyday operations of this franchise. So we'll have to wait and see. I think it's a step in the right direction. But again, I'm not a huge uniform guy. Um, I do enjoy the white uniform though. That look, it's pretty slick looking.
1: Yeah. I think the white's really slick. I think people are really taken to those Brown alternate uniforms though. Like the, the pinstripe tan, whatever we want yeah. to call it.
0: Sand wet sand, or I don't yeah. even know what
1: not know. I didn't like it at first, but I was like, who else has these colors in pro sports? Yeah,
0: it, it's going to create an identity, and yeah. I think that's important for the Padres at this point. For, for 50 years, they've kind of just been taking up space. I and, like that yeah, the brown's almost black, too. I like that it's yeah. really dark. I well, love- from an outsider's perspective, what what are your thoughts on it, Eric? I know brown's not yeah. exactly an appealing color.
2: Well, see, my high school, we were brown and, and gold, and like oh, okay. our, our high school baseball unis were you know, brown pinstripes on white, top and i'm like i'm super duper into i think it looks awesome like brown is one of my favorite colors and i like um i like brown cars and uh i like st bonaventure's basketball unis and uh the university of wyoming's threads are kind of cool when the yellow isn't overdone So, so yeah it's pretty uh it is pretty rare to see brown at all in sports
0: um is so know, so I, Wichita so I, State also Wichita State is also orange it's black. So. Yeah, it's and black, Wichita though, State that's State's like, not brown. Didn't they used to be back in the day, like Darren
1: Dryford days and stuff? I don't maybe. know. They've been a prominent bowling program forever, and like I've always seen them with black. That's how okay. I know that's how I knew Wichita State when I was growing up, because they were a bowling program. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, the brown
0: is definitely back in San Diego. Fans are snapping up, snatching up the gear left and right. Um, it's kind of interesting to that there's no more blue in the in the uniform. It's it's a little surreal um, feeling for for the for the for the San Diego fans. But uh, all in all, I think it's a it's a it's a step in the right direction for this franchise, and and that's ultimately what we all want. Uh, Eric, again, thank you so much for spending some time. It's always sure, guys, valuable to to listen to your your evaluation of these prospects we often get jaded hearing about them all the time and it's nice for you to give us a little bit of a reality check
2: thank you guys i yeah anytime uh the prospect list will start rolling out on uh fangraphs coming up here soon and then kylie and i have a a book coming out um and towards the middle of next year uh so be on the lookout for that as well
0: fantastic any title on the book or anything you can give us on the book It,
2: it is it is uh, we had to be talked into it because we thought it was a little bit hubristic, but, uh, the title of the book is future value.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. Awesome. Awesome. That's good stuff. Hashtag we'll get, branding. We'll... <laughs> we'll definitely look forward to reading that. Uh, Mr. Long and Eric, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Uh, have a great day and we will talk to you again soon. Thanks guys. Take it easy. Thank you so much. Uh, folks, we will be right back
1: after a short break. Welcome back folks. We just had a long and extensive conversation with lead prospects analyst Eric Loggenhagen. What was your favorite tidbit of information that we got from that conversation, James?
0: I love the Cantillo talk, the fact that he talked about his analytical spin and the fact that he's in on him. He's all in on him. And and it's, it's interesting that Fangraphs goes beyond just velocity and stuff and in his Ks and these, this newer type of analytical information is definitely relevant and it, it needs to be, it needs to be absorbed and it's, it's awesome to hear him that he's uh, eager and excited to see what Cantillo can do uh, in, in uh, Lake Elsinore and beyond.
1: You know, it's kind of cool because I, I eat this stuff up like I could listen to Eric talk all day about Padre's prospects. I could listen to him talk all day about prospects in general. And it's cool mm. to get his opinion on a guy like Morahone to where I don't I'm not really super sure on, you know, and it sounds like he's kind of the same way. Uh-huh. Uh, and then when we're talking about guys that I've seen, guys that I will see, a guy that I'm you know, after talking to everybody, the the one that gets the seems to get the shining reviews the most is Xavier Edwards. And I'm really excited after talking, especially after talking to Eric, to get to see X next year.
0: Yeah, he's definitely a gamer, a baseball purist, if you will, someone who's going to put his best foot forward. Uh, he'll probably start in Lake Elsinore, but I would imagine you will see him eventually in Amarillo uh, if he just continues to progress like he is.
1: That this has been episode 114 of the East Village Times podcast. East Village Times
0: podcast is signing
1: out.